How's it going, everybody? Uh, we are launching our next uh, Changemaker podcast, and with us today, an amazing guest, uh, Doctora Livia Levano is here. Um, this is going to be an amazing podcast. Thank you so much, <laughs> Doctora, for being with us okay. today. Um, before we get started, I do have to uh, read a little bit of a disclaimer. Si no me regañan, right? So any of the advice that is given here uh, should not substitute. Um, medical advice that uh, you should seek from a medical professional. Uh, Dr. Lia Lirano will be sharing with us uh, a, a lot of her expertise and information, but um, our disclaimer is that please consult with your physician. Absolutely. Um, you know, take, take this information as valuable, but something that is a conversation starter with your own physician. So with that being said, let me uh, briefly introduce our guest. Sir, Dr. Livia Lirano is a licensed naturopathic physician. She is fluently bilingual, English and Spanish. Uh, she received her BS in molecular and cellular biology from the University of Arizona. Go Wildcats. Shout out That's to Wildcats. Right. After a few years of uh, working, volunteering in uh, graduate school classes, she found naturopathic medicine. She attended Southwest College of Naturopathic Medicine, SCNM. Shout out to SCNM in Tempe. Mm -hmm. uh, world renowned. This is an extremely uh, amazing uh, place. I've heard really great things. Um, she gravitated towards herbal medicine, acupuncture, hydrotherapy, and nutrition. It was important to her to train in underserved communities and completed um, shifts in primary care at the school uh, clinic, as well as at a variety of community outreach clinics in uh, greater Phoenix area. So some of these places included the Southwest HIV Center, domestic violence uh, centers, the Roosevelt Elementary Community Clinic, and substance abuse detoxification centers. Uh, she's receiving her doctorate. Uh, she has sh uh, shadowed a pediatrician and a gynecologist in Mexico. She's also added intuitive uh, craniosacral? Craniosacral. Craniosacral and myan uh, uterine massage into her treatment modalities expertise. She's, uh, she joined Blue Oak Clinic in 2018 here in Tucson, Arizona. Doctora, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you for having me. Definitely, definitely. So again, we're providing value to all the folks out here who are watching us, who are um, following us along. We are trying to give as much value out to the community um, as, uh, as members here in, in Tucson. We need to understand that there is a plethora of experts here and so much expertise and so many amazing people doing amazing things. And Doctora, you're one of those. So thank you so much. So first and foremost, uh, again, muchísimas gracias. We want to know who are you, right? Like some background. Some folks may know you and, uh, and, and you know, have followed your path into all the amazing work that you do. Uh, but some folks out here may not. So uh, tell us a little bit about, you know, who you are, you know, your, your, your path. We really like to offer uh, our students, our families, and the community members this idea of not the finished product, right? Mm -hmm. Everybody's looking at, oh, doctora, but there was a path to get there. So talk to us a little bit about that. Sure. Um, I'm, I consider myself a generation 1.5. So I was born in Mexico, but I came here very young. So my parents were um, very hardworking so that they could provide for me and my brother. Um, I was also the firstborn. So I think I, I kind of just ran with it. My parents, because they were so busy, they raised both of us to be really independent and self-sufficient. So I did middle school, um, high school, until I got to U of A. Um, it was, um, 
it wasn't a difficult path per se. I didn't really give myself a choice of doing other things. I've always liked school. I've always been nerdy. Um, reading, I started reading at a very young age, and so that was always one of my favorite things to do. Still is. Um, so I didn't really give myself a choice to not really follow a narrow path. Um, and as being a 1.5 and being a firstborn, I kind of was hyper-responsible. So not achieving was, was not really an option for me. Mm-hmm. So I followed through, went to U of A. I um, worked for a while because I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. In the back of my head, I always had med school. Um, but when it came time to applying, it was not, it wasn't really what I was looking for. Mostly because as, as being a Mexicana, there's a huge family history of diabetes and heart disease on both sides of my family. And just the care that my family members were getting, it's really just sick care. People don't really get better. They just get more and more pills. And that was not a system that I wanted to be a part of. So, so this speaks a lot to um, that medical pluralism, right? That exactly. our community experiences and is, is deeply invested in. Right. right. So when did you know that, you know, that that was the path that you were looking at, more healing rather than medicine per se? How, what was that decision like for you? It, it, wasn't, it wasn't a conscious decision. Mm-hmm. It was more of getting through, like doing as well as I could for my bachelor's um, and doing well and really liking those upper level classes, but not really finding the integration with um, with my experiences and the importance of of mental, emotional health, even though at that time I couldn't really put that into words. It was more of there's just something missing and I didn't know what it was. So I kind of in my head, I floundered for a few years while I while I worked and I kept taking classes because I wanted to see what else was out there. And I, I just Somebody invited me to a conference, and a naturopath was there, and they talked. Um, and it didn't really hit me right away. In fact, I kind of, at that point, I was still very invested in the conventional medicine realm. So I kind of um, put it in the back of my head and said, well, that's not for me. And it, at that point, it wasn't for me. Um, But it always just like every so often kept coming back to me and kept coming back to me um, until I realized after taking grad school classes, I took classes through the College of Public Health and through Mexican-American Studies that I think I finally realized what was wrong and why I didn't really want to go through conventional medicine. And then I started searching the different schools um, and I went and visited a couple of them and settled in the Tempe School for family reasons. And, and so some folks are very familiar with the traditional medical path, Correct. at least in a, as a concept, right? Correct. People maybe don't know what it really takes. Um, but naturopathic medicine, talk to us a little bit about that. Some people may not know what that is exactly. You know, some, some, some folks may have preconceived notions or, or you know, or, or maybe be completely wrong about what it actually is, what it entails. So talk to us a little bit about about that particular aspect of healing. 
So naturopathic medical school or naturopathic medicine, it is a four-year program where the first two years are heavily invested in all the basic sciences. So it's any kind of basic science that you would encounter at a regular or conventional medical school. So anatomy, physiology, pharmacology, um, biochemistry. Where it differs is that starting in our first year, we get a lot more training in what we call alternative modalities. So um, that's botanical medicine or herbal medicine. In our case in Tempe, it also included acupuncture, um, physical, physical medicine, which is similar to what chiropractors do, but it's slightly different, um, along with a lot of nutrition, a lot, a lot of nutrition, um, and hydrotherapy. And so these are fairly simple in a way, ways to heal a body, but it's still very complex in that not everybody heals in the same way. And I think that's part of what what I really enjoy about, about naturopathic medicine is I can choose different treatments for my patients depending on what their lifestyle is and what I what how they respond to treatment. Because I can have two patients with, say, um, thyroid problems. I won't necessarily give them all the same treatment. So it, it's very tailored to my patients. And that way we have, it's kind of more, more of a partnership as opposed to a more um, paternalistic way of medicine where you go see the doctor, you maybe talk to them for five minutes, and they oftentimes, not all the time, but just give you a pill. Um, part of, I think, what helps my patients heal faster is we have our initial visit is an hour and a half, and every visit after that, it's said anywhere from 30 minutes to 45 minutes. So we really get into having more of a talk with each other where even that can be really healing for some people. How does this, ex how is this taken by members of our community, right? But sometimes um, folks who are gravitating to naturopathic medicine maybe aren't from our community, even though there are these naturopathic uh, practices that exist in our community. Right. What are you seeing there? How does that how is that translating when it comes to working with members of our community? Are they open? Do they not accept? What, what For the most like? part, actually, I find that in mem with members of our community, they're definitely open. Um, what I find both through my training and with my patients is because we are so much closer to the earth, like our ancestors are so much closer to us, we respond to herbal medicine a lot more readily than the not the non-people of color um, that I have as patients and it's just because there's just a closer connection there's definitely more of an openness to it um, and anytime that I that I see um, somebody from our community I tend to give them herbs that we have available to us around us and so people respond better to that also um, there's definitely more of that um, Latica, where my patients will say, well, you know, this is really nice that I can talk to somebody in my language um, and you explain things to me. And I think part of being a naturopath is we teach people. So I'm not just going to walk in there and say, well, you have thyroid disease. Just take this pill. I'm like, well, we go into well, this. You have a little bit of a thyroid. It's a little sluggish. This is why you're feeling this, this and that. 
this is how we're going to help you. This is what you have to do to, to complete your healing because it's not just from anything I can give you as a supplement or as an herb, or but you have to put part of your, like, su granito de arena. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, it's not going to work. Um, so that partnership is super important. So, mi gente, you heard it here. Um, la doctora's talking about it. Listen to your nana, right? <laughs> That's the right. nana's giving you your té de manzanilla, de hierbabuena, right? Like, listen to your nana. They know what they're talking about. That's right. ¿verdad? So this is ancestral. This is traditional. This is part of our community. Um, this is kind of uh, one of our gifts, no? It one is. of our community gifts, something that we have, um, our people, our ancestors have kind of harbored over many, many hundreds, if not thousands of years, right? Exactly. To get to this point. Um, so what's that connection with, um, with other, uh, other physicians? You know, how do they, how is that respected? You know, you're, you're bringing this cultural components, but that where it isn't just like, you know, we're going to adopt something from other parts of the world, mm -hmm. right? Um, how is there that respect for that cultural knowledge and peace within um, this, this particular practice of healing? I'm going to say I've been very fortunate in that I've, I've met with, like, especially the colleagues that I'm working with right now, they're definitely very supportive of the fact that I integrate my culture into how I, um, how I converse with my patients. Um, and at, as part of my training, I followed a lot more of the more uh, vitalistic practitioners by what I mean by that is it's closer to of doing a lot more herbs doing a lot more hydrotherapy doing some treatments treatment modalities that might seem um, simple to begin with but they can have very deep and long-lasting healing effects um, and they were all about re recapturing old knowledge um, so in a sense, I feel like I was a, I've been able to um, kind of reach back to my own ancestry and say, I'm following a path that you guys set forward. Um, and I, yeah, I feel like I'm reclaiming part of that. So for me, I, I just feel like I stepped back in that path. But right. it's been pretty open. Having said that, not everybody's is open. I mean, that, that's part of being a naturopath is we have such a big scope, especially in the state of Arizona, for treatment that we are pretty, we're pretty free to do what we're comfortable with as long as you're not harming patients and they're getting better. Um, but people have different passions and they have different treatment modalities that they gravitate towards. And so not everybody's is open to... Um, being more vitalistic or being more or putting more of your cultural aspect into it. Wow. I mean, it's 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 uh, such a um, how can I say such a privilege to have you here talking to us and to see these two halves come together. Something that we do here at the school is we really speak to this idea of we should understand our cultural backgrounds. We should incorporate that into our prof future professional selves. You found a way do that absolutely that's, that's amazing because um you know some of the more traditional paths have been like that's something private right that's something at home that's something with your family that's something that you kind of keep to yourself but you found a way to really incorporate that in, in a professional sense so what, what message do you have for families or young people out there because it's always like mijo mija you know i 
que ser un doctor, un ingeniero, right? And, and it almost is like saying you have to let go of something to become something. But you found a way to blend that. So what do you tell those familias, those young people that are out there that don't want to let go of that cultural piece right. and want to be in that professional space and merge those two? You've been successful to do that. What lessons have you learned and what would you give as recommendations? Um, I guess what I'll say is speaking to, I had a mentee a couple years back who's now in traditional medical school and I, she and I were speaking once and she was telling me about her, how she came to med school. And what I said to her then was, you have to be careful to keep this part of yourself that is super important to you that they don't, that they don't burn you out of it which is really easy to do in medical school because there's... What, what is it? I want to I drill into that. What do you mean that, What do you mean by that? Like what, what does that look like? like, like is, the, is, it not, is it discouraged? Is it discounted? It's a little bit of discounting discouraged, but a lot of there's so much that you have to do to get through medical school because there's such a... a it's literally like having a fire hose of information at, coming at you every day that you have to be tested for, that you're responsible for. So essentially, you're not killing patients. Mm-hmm. Um, that if you're not taking really good care of yourself, you will easily burn out. And that part of that part of the passion that you go into it for, which I find for a lot of people of color, especially the Chicanos, the young Chicanos that I've met that are going into that, is reaching back to their communities so that they can they can help their underserved communities, um, but that can easily be burned out because of what we call adrenal burnout. You, there's just so much that you have to deal with that if it's not essential for your survival through med school, you kind of leave it on the on the wayside. Um, as far as looking for looking for if you're entering if you're thinking of going into medicine or nursing or one of these more even the lawyer like going into one of these more traditional paths or or maybe you're thinking naturopathic school is have a clear goal of what you want your practice to be like so that when you have all these people saying things to you of no you have to be more traditional this is what you have to do you say you know what i have this goal in my head um, that I'm working towards so that you never forget that little spark of why you started doing what you wanted to do. Um, powerful. powerful. I mean, extremely powerful, extremely important. Um, and, and I think, you know, for those who have entered into the professional space, it's kind of like, um, I finished. I'm, I, I made it. Um, and, but a lot of our families, our young people, are barely starting that process, right, are barely entering. And there aren't many examples. Right? There aren't many examples who have been through that process. Right? So, so you talked about a mentee. Right. Right? Um, who mentored you? Who, who guided you? Uh, usually we talk to folks, again, we look at the finished product. Oh, amazing. They were doing great. But there's always, from everyone that we've talked to, there's this support network. Mm-hmm. Right? There's these people around both inside that professional space and outside of the professional space that made it possible. Who is, who is that circle of people for you? I think initially as I was going through, let's say, bachelors, it was mostly my family. Um, I can't really say that I had a mentor in the traditional sense as I was 
moving through the grad school process or through medical school. Through medical school, there were a couple doctors, physicians that I trained under that um, were good mentors. I think part of part of the difficulty for me moving through that was I'm highly introverted. Um, so for me, reaching out and asking somebody for help was not easy. Um, and also paired with the fact that I was trained to be really self-sufficient, it was not something that I really gave myself a chance to do. Um, so I never really had a true mentor in the I'm going to mentor you sense, and not that it ever really happens in quite that way. Um, but which is why when I made that transition, when I made that decision of going to naturopathic medical school instead of conventional, conventional medical school, it was a good year of me with self-doubt of, am I really making the correct choice for me? Um, it felt really good, but I had also never met a naturopath. Um, to be perfectly honest, I didn't really hear about naturopathic medical school until a good three to four years out after I had finished my bachelor's. Um, and I come from a line of people who are in like nurses. So for it was, it was very much a paradigm shift for me. So it took me a long time to really embrace that. Um, moving forward to like my first week of naturopathic medical school and I'm sitting there and I'm listening to our first week, which was a lot more um, the philosophy behind what naturopathic medicine is. And I was like, this is it. Like, I don't know why I doubted myself so much. This is what I was meant to do. Um, and so that week in particular helped me through the rest of those four years, which are still pretty grueling. Um, and I don't know if I answered your question. No, no, actually. definitely. I mean, that, that's that idea. Like we're saying, what, what I'm hearing, correct me if I'm wrong, is that you had a support system that was both inside and outside of, of your chosen field. Correct. Right? So there was some people, and it wasn't explicit. Right. It wasn't explicit. And I think that's something else that we want to share out to our familias and to the young people that there isn't a, a set way. There isn't a set path. There isn't a form to fill out. Right? Correct. There is... You, this is like that self-sufficiency is going to be key to search out those things that you need to be able to make it through this reality, whatever that may be for them. Um, and I think this is this is extremely important. Again, um, shout out to all the introverts that are out there, all the young young <laughs> right. introverts that are out there, right? In the schools and, you know, in, in the familias and comunidad that sometimes those folks are discounted, right? Are just kind of, well, they don't speak up. They're not in the plays. They're not at the forefront. They're not this or that. And it's like, this idea that you know it, there isn't a script, there isn't a set way. There is a, there's a million ways to win, and you got to find your way to make that happen. Um, so, so that's that's uh, super important for for folks in the community to understand. For our young people, our familias, um, for you, you talked a lot about you know giving back and reaching back into the community. Talk to us about that. What does that look like for you? Why is it important? What has it looked like? You know, since you have been practicing um, to be able to give back, what as a professional, what what does that? How is that taking shape? I, well, part of why it's important to me is because I realize. I mean, I think it goes back to my two very hardworking parents who did everything they could so my brother and I could be here and have the opportunities that they never had when they were growing up in Mexico. 
Um, and I realized that it isn't just them. I mean, there's this whole community. I mean, we live near the Boys and Girls Club. Like, there's this whole community of people trying to help each other out. Um, and I'm still highly introverted, and I'm not necessarily one that's out there and um, in the community and doing stuff right now. But I know that as I prepared myself to go into med school, and this was just conventional medical school, I definitely looked for ways to give back. And so I volunteered at SAFE. Here locally, I um, volunteered at a hospice. Um, and then once I hit medical school, then it was really important for me to learn in those communities because I wanted to be, I wanted to know, first of all, what are the health challenges in those communities um, so that I would be able to better serve them in a culturally competent way, which I definitely see as lacking in a lot of places. Um, but also, it's just a way of giving back to to the universe, like to giving back to what has been feeding me through all this time. It isn't just me. I didn't do this all by myself. And so it's just a way to return, to re just be grateful for what I have, but also be able to pay it forward in a sense. Um, and unfortunately, right now, I don't really have a way of giving back yet. It is something that I'm looking into, um, but I haven't found something, I haven't, I just haven't found something. But yeah. my my goal is to be able to help people in underserved communities. And I know there's, there are a couple of community health clinics here that I could, that I could um, do that. Uh, amazing. I, mean, I know that um, recently there was an event at um, Galeria Mitotera. Yes. Right. So yes. I, so I know that you were involved there um, and, and getting shout outs to uh, Mel Dominguez and uh, the folks at Galeria Mitotera. But I know that there was like events like that where yeah. we, we've seen your presence. And I mean, just that you are in the community, that yeah. you are, um, again, off open and willing and offering that connection is amazing. It's, it's super amazing. And, and again, to the familias, to the young people, you know, I, I think that it's driving home this point that it is that reciprocity. Like you're saying, we didn't right. make it, like, we didn't get here by ourselves. We have to turn around because a lot of times the, the dominant narrative is like, I made it, I know that most, right? That right. kind of, that type of approach. But I think more and more as we speak to um, professionals out in the community, from our community, there is this drive home point of like, no, we have to give back. We right. have to give back. It's just, there isn't a question about it, right? It's one of the values that we that we hold dear. And actually, I just remembered. I was also talking to a friend of mine, and I think this is, um, this is going to be important. Like how I give back is about doing talks at the Valencia Library. Mm -hmm. So just being able to be out in the community and teach and doing some like more nutrition or herb-based stuff that people can do at home to help with their health. Yeah, and, y presentaciones bilingües yeah. también. Mm -hmm. Muy importante, queremos hablar con la comunidad que esta información no solamente debe de ser para aquellos que hablan el inglés, es muy importante también compartir esta información en español. So for all our, our, our bilingual and Spanish-speaking communities uh, members, you know, uh, it's super important that we have connections um, and that we have uh, professionals that are able to help us in our way, in our language, with our cultural understandings. Uh, um, and there's also moments and times where we reach out. We reach out beyond that, right, mm -hmm. to, uh, to be able to engage in the world. So um, talk to us about 
the clinic uh, where you work. So Blue Oak, like I have a website here. So um, yeah, blueoaksclinic.com. So talk to us about the clinic. Um, what, is, what does that look like? How yeah. long have you been there, et cetera? Uh, Blue Oak Clinic, is, uh, there's three naturopaths right now and an acupuncturist. We all practice very differently, um, which is part of being a naturopath, um, as I talked about earlier. I'm definitely, like I said, more vitalistic in nature, but we all, we all like to help people. So that's really our focus is, are we helping our patients get better? Um, we have, let's see, I've been there for a little over a year, almost a year and a half now, and I, um, have some really great patients. Um, I'm sorry. No, 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 just, just, no, 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 it's fine. Just telling us about the clinic, the experience. Here's something that came to mind. Um, you know, what's something that has really impressed you, amazed you in your practice? Like something that either from your own practice or one of your fellow practitioners where naturopathic medicine has really made that difference for right. somebody and by leaps and bounds you know we always hear about you know uh, in our community we're always hearing about the diabetes and heart disease and all of these um you know sometimes with this belief that these are cultural diseases mm -hmm. um, but success stories that you've seen that and of course you know privacy of, of right. patients and all that but things that you've seen that this has been really beneficial for members of our community in this way as a success? I think one of the easiest, quote unquote, because it can be the hardest part for a patient is the dietary. Um, diet is super important. And I think, unfortunately, most people don't really think about it as medicine. But I always like to think of food as medicine. So I had a patient who'd had allergies for most of her life. Um, and as soon as we removed the difficult ones, corn and dairy, her, her all her allergies cleared up. Um, and uh, I remember sitting there in the visit, and uh, her mother was sitting there with her, and she started crying because nobody had ever explained to her why her daughter was having all these issues. They just kept throwing stuff at them, and some of it worked, and some of it didn't. Uh, but at least it was an it was a way to empower her for her own health. Like this is something that she can easily, again, quote unquote, do um, to help her own health. Um, and I say quote unquote because sometimes depending depending how motivated a patient is to get better, dietary changes can be a little bit tricky, um, especially if it involves a lot. Well, because it involves having to read all the packages and make sure that those foods. Are that they're sensitive to aren't in those packaged foods. Um, so if if y'all learn anything from listening to me is try not to eat processed foods. The less processed foods you eat, the healthier you'll be. So, so let's talk a little bit about la, la, la gastronomía mexicana, right? This is when we talk about food as medicine, there are some staples of um, the Mexicano diet Right. Uh, and, and and really the, the continental diet, right? It's it's from this continent, um, but it's kind of like has been kind of transformed, right? Mm -hmm. Over time, so we think of the Mexicano diet, and now it's like oh these greasy tacos and certain things, right? But there's really a staple that's very foundational, right? That works very well. Can you speak to that a little bit for the folks that are out here? Because sometimes it's like oh, pues esos caldos y esto lo otro, yeah. and like 
how does that work or how have you seen that cultural piece work with respects to what we're eating what is like these are definitely like these are me- this is medicine right here right versus mm, maybe these aren't but they've become associated with our cultural practices i think especially being um Southwest U.S. and northern Mexico is the most, the closer we can eat to how our ancestors ate. So more like how people still eat in southern Mexico, where they're eating corn that's very much now considered heirloom corn because it hasn't been, it's not GMO. Um, They eat a lot more veggies. I think northern Mexicans, we just don't eat veggies. Um, I remember having my father having to make that transition because of diabetes and heart disease um he before he made that choice he used to say i don't eat veggies that's bunny food i'm not gonna eat that um and now he craves salad so it's a matter of changing your palate but any kind of veggie um being really conscious about where the corn you're eating is coming from and yeah you can eat dairy just don't eat as much dairy as um, people use here because it's more Americanized Mexican food. Mm-hmm. So it's it seems like northern Mexican, southwestern has really adopted a lot of the Americanized diets. Correct. So it's kind of like morphed. For example, uh, flour tortillas instead yeah. of corn tortillas. Exactly. And then corn tortillas that are coming from heirloom corns versus the corn tortillas that are just like, well, who knows, GMO or whatever the case may be. Right. Oh, I see. Okay. So, so how... How easy it is, is it for folks who have been accustomed to eat a certain way to make that transition? Like you said, there's some people that are highly motivated, some people that maybe not so. What has been the biggest challenge there? I think the biggest challenge is for those people who are very used to eating the flour tortilla. Mm. And I usually have to go into that training piece of, you know, as Mexicans with all our indigenous ancestry, we are genetics and therefore our bodies really evolved to eating corn. So a lot, for a lot of diabetic patients, and this may not be the case for everybody, but for a lot of our Mexican diabetic, diabetic patients, they can eat a couple of corn tortillas a day, and it won't raise their blood sugar. But give them half a flour tortilla, and their blood sugar just goes up wow. a lot. Um, what I find is giving them options in terms of, instead of just expecting my patients to eat a kale salad, yeah, which most Mexicans are not going to do, um, is find ways to incorporate veggies into a, like a caldo, like you mentioned earlier. Or like maybe eating more calabacitas, but just make sure you don't add as much cheese. Or no cheese if you're very dairy sensitive. Um, and that is something else that a lot of people don't know, is there are a lot of Mexicans that are actually lactose intolerant, because as adults, most humans really don't need to consume dairy. Um but anyhow, it's essentially this idea of eating more veggies, eating a little bit less carne, which sometimes that's the difficulty because because it's it's speaking to people who feel like you can afford to eat carne. Why wouldn't you eat carne? Mm-hmm. So and and so you're it's kind of throwing a little bit of like the socioeconomics into the cultural. Um, and unfortunately, the cheaper the food, the most, the more unhealthier it is. And there's people who can only afford to eat those processed foods. Yeah, yeah so it becomes a socioeconomic issue, not just a cultural one. So um, transitioning here just a little bit, um, 
we're getting ready for the flu season. That's right. Right? So it's coming. You know, get ready, everybody. <laughs> it's coming. Uh, what advice do you have uh, uh, with respects to preparing, right? Or, or what should, be, what should uh, you know, a lot of students will miss school. A lot of uh, parents will have to stay home because their kids are sick and things of that nature, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, productivity kind of drops uh, during this time of the year. So what recommendations would you have to students, to, um, you know, to, to families when it comes to their immunity and building up those strengths to be able to survive the flu season without being out for, you know, who knows how many weeks? Right. So the first thing, first things first, wash your hands as much as you can. Um, really, the problem with the flu or cold isn't that you're inhaling the droplets. It's that you are shaking somebody's hand who maybe is just getting the cold. They don't know it. And so they just coated your hands with all those germs, and then we touch your face. And that's usually how people get in contact with the virus. So wash your hands religiously. Um, you don't necessarily need to use those like alcohol-based ones. Really, just washing your hands really well does the trick. Um, make sure you're drinking enough water. Make sure you're sleeping enough. If you feel like you're getting, like you're not feeling really well, make sure... Take some vitamin C, more vitamin C than you had been before. Make sure that your vitamin D levels are um, where they need to be because vitamin D is super important, not just for mood and energy, but also for Im Im your immune system. Um, and maybe take a little bit if you know that you might be low. Um, again, eating lots of veggies is always good. There's just lots of nutrients and vitamins in there. And eating lightly, especially if you're already starting to not feel well. So what that, that means, like, maybe eat soups or eat lightly sautéed veggies or, like, eating chicken or bone broth right now is, is a big thing, is eating bone broth instead of, you know, having, like, a sandwich. Like You might be throwing a lot of veggies in there, but you're also requiring your a lot of work from your body. So it sounds to me, and here, otra vez, mi gente, uh, listen to your nana, right? She's yes. like, Mijo, Mika, go wash your hands, lance las manos, right? Everything that you just said, it just, it just brought all these flashbacks, right? Yeah. And I was like, nope, this is how you don't, you no vas a comer, vete a lavarte las manos, like all of that. So it sounds like those cultural practices that we've had is just sticking true to them. Right? Absolutely. And then any tea that will make you sweat, because the higher your temperature goes, the more bugs your body's killing. So like cinnamon tea or ginger tea or, um, to think of what the nanas use um but the herbs that your nanas recommend or like if say you have a nana and she has some chuchupate you can always just suck on the chuchupate it doesn't taste good but it does your body good <laughs> so so uh yeah you, it's, it's kind of like uh you know the medicines maybe are a little bit <laughs> yeah, rough right? yeah that's the that's the big thing a lot of uh, so maybe we can speak about this a little bit a lot of the remedies it's a lot of bitters it's right? a, lot of bitters. a lot of the tastes are bitters and we're so used to, again, the processed foods and the Americanized exactly. diet that we're craving the sweet. But really, the bitters is where it's at. And the reason that the bitters is where it's at is it forces your body to remove all those things. So it, it improves your digestion so that you can poop everything out. It clears out your kidneys so you're peeing out all those toxins that you've been accumulating from all those foods you've been eating. Um, so that you're essentially removing all the waste so that your body can take care of whatever what whatever bugs making you sick so that's why the yeah absolutely the bitters yeah, are important yeah, the bitters so yes how gente you know that's why you know you, we don't have to add you know sweet and lows and the sugars and everything to everything you know exactly. what i mean de vez en cuando a little bit of this or that but 
you know, the bitters are, are good. Yeah. They're, they're good for us. So uh, that's that's important. Um, so to, to close out, um, Doctora, like what is the one thing? There's all of these. And of course, there's t many things out in the community that we should focus in on. But what's the thing that you're seeing right now? Right. I mean, I know um, not too long ago, the conversation was around juvenile diabetes, for example. Mm -hmm. Right. That this was new and something that we hadn't seen before. Is there something here on the horizon um, that is presenting itself or is it the same old things? It's the same old things, um, unfortunately, and it's a lot of it's diet. If we could create more of a consciousness in our community about having a healthier diet, and I'm not saying don't go out and eat the tacos, it's just everything in moderation, making sure that you're eating enough veggies, you're drinking enough water. I think the, the water picture in our community is super important because I can't even tell you how many people in to see me and they say I don't drink water it doesn't taste like anything I'm like well it, I know it tastes like water <laughs> <laughs> and all they drink is juice or soda or something like that which of course because of the diabetes does not really it doesn't it doesn't make it any easier to talk about diet so you because you, you mentioned this a few times and you're talking about water you talked about hydrotherapy. Yes. Is, is this what you're talking about with respects to... Or so, no. And actually, hydrotherapy would be a great way to also help boost your immune system. So hydrotherapy can be anything as easy as um, ending your shower with a burst of cold water. Oh. Or, like, say you have a swollen foot because you twisted your ankle. You can put... Um, you can get grab a bucket of ice cold water and then a bucket of really hot water as hot as you can tolerate without burning yourself and do an alternate alternate dips so first in the hot for about three minutes and then one minute one minute in the cold mm -hmm. always ending with cold and then that helps drive down that it that swelling wow. and the pain okay um and then but it's a combination of the two yes because some people are just like just ice it you know, you have a lot of athletes, so the athletes that are out here, right. know, and you have like basketball season, football season, baseball, et cetera, they sprain something, they hurt something, and it's like, ice it. The coaches always are the trainers, ice it's, it. Yeah. And, and what you're saying is like, you need it's to the be, combination, you need to yeah. do both. Yeah. You need to do both more hot than cold, but always ending with cold. Yes. Wow. So, ya saben, don't be uh, just putting ice on it and then forget about it. No, it's not set it and forget <laughs> no. it. You have to do the work. You do have to do the work. Awesome. So, I, so that, I was wondering, because you had mentioned a couple of times, so... Um, Aparte from staying hydrated, yes, right. This is particular therapy. So talk to us about the burst of cold water. I know a lot of people out here they're like, no, no, please, no, I'm muero, right? Like, so what what does that do? So essentially, having that uh, difference in temperature. So the as with the hot water, you're opening up all your pores, your your blood vessels are enlarging, um, and then you get that burst of cold water, and everything constricts. So it acts as a pump. So that everything that needs to move in and out is moving in and out. So what that means is you're moving out all the waste, but you're also bringing in more of the cells and the nutrients that help to rebuild. Wow. Wow. So, ya saben, uh, I know they tell us, like, hey, go take a sh cold shower. That's for something else. Other story. <laughs> uh, pero, pero de veras, right? I mean, we please, again, uh, consult with your physicians, consult with your, uh, you know, your medical advisors. Um, but again... We have uh, an expert here who is sharing with us, again, that, that combination of what our cultural practices are and how our health can be improved by, again, returning to some of those ancestral ways that, um, that have kind of been abandoned 
to an extent. Mm-hmm. And the, the, the hydrotherapy also, I mean, the steam rooms and the infrared saunas and all that stuff is also um, part of the hydrotherapy picture. And really, it's kind of what people did in Temascales. Mm-hmm. So it's definitely in our culture. It's just named something different. Yeah. So uh, again, Temescales, the folks who are who are out, you know, um, anchoring that those ancestral ceremonial practices. You know, there are some amazing people here in town uh, mm-hmm. who continue to, you know, hold that fire, so to speak, right? And and do and hold those practices for our community. So again, it's just returning to some of these things that have always been there, continue to be there, but we have to search them out. Exactly, right? we have to be there. Um, Pues, muchísimas gracias, doctora. Thank you so much for, for being with us today, for engaging in this conversation. Thank you so much. Uh, again, uh, the website for the clinica, www.blueoakclinic.com. Uh, please, if uh, if you are looking for a naturopathic physician, aquí está la doctora sus órdenes. Um, for everyone out there, again, catch the replay of our podcast uh, on our Facebook channel, YouTube channel, and of course, um, our podcast now on iTunes, Spotify, and the Google podcast, and many, 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 many more places. Uh, muchísimas gracias, doctora. Thank uh-huh. you for making the time. We so, so appreciate you, and um, aquí está tu casa. Gracias. Whenever, whenever, however. Muchísimas gracias. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right, everybody, thank, thank you so you. much. Te cuidan. Nos vemos pronto. Bye-bye.